Okay. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the beautiful day you've given us, and we thank you for your mercies to us. Thank you for another Lord's Day on which we can uh, turn aside from our ordinary activities and our work and so forth and, uh, and give up a day to you in worship and holy rest. And we thank you for the chance to study the scriptures together once again. And as we come into this place to consider once again what your word says about marriage, we pray for the guidance and the help and the instruction of your Holy Spirit as we come to topics that are sometimes controversial, things that sometimes are contrary to our own um, sense, our own thoughts, and uh, sometimes difficult to grapple with. We pray that you'll bless us as we grapple with them together. And uh, we commit this time to you now, and we pray your blessing upon the other Sunday school classes as well, especially those who are working with our little ones. Uh, Bless their labors with much fruit, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, So, today we uh, hit the topic of gender roles. Thank you, Noah. Um, And so you got the handout. I'll just be going through the outline here, and we'll try to allow for plenty of time for discussion and uh, uh, this week in the men's Bible study at Tuesday, Tuesday I had a handout for them front and back, and we basically only got through about half the material. So, um, uh, so we're going to just uh, pick up on the rest of it next time. And, we'll, and if we have to, uh, with any of these topics, we'll do the same in this class. Thank you. Raymond is coming. Um, yeah, so we're not on a schedule. We're not on a timetable to finish this course. So if we need extra time to consider uh, any of the topics, we can do that. I think uh, the topic of communication I'm planning to spend at least two Sundays on anyway. Um, but um, I'll communicate with you more about that later. Um, Roman number one on the handout is I just want to frame the discussion before we dive into what the Bible says about gender roles. And uh, <clears throat> just to kind of set the stage a little bit, first of all, uh, let's uh, let's establish the scope of the, of what we're going to be talking about uh, for our purposes here in this class. Uh, we're going to be discussing gender roles specifically in marriage, because okay, that's what this course is about. It's about marriage. Um, uh, gender roles as they're defined and regulated by Scripture, and uh, you know. I, suspect that most people, maybe all people in this class, are pretty much on the same page with all this stuff. But we all know people who aren't. And so we're going to look to what Scripture says and not lean on, uh, on man's opinion. But uh, be, because um, God created marriage, he's uh, fully uh, authorized and entitled to regulate it. And he does in his word. He defines marriage, he defines gender roles, and he defines and regulates those roles Uh, in marriage. So in other words, we're not going to be discussing gender roles in society at large. So uh, there may be kind of a temptation to branch off into discussions about, well, what about, uh, you know, gender roles in politics or in the military? You know, Blue Angels were here for the air show just a few weeks ago. And I guess that female pilot that's flying with the Blue Angels now is the first female that's ever flown with them. Is that correct? It's flown a Hornet with him, yep. Yeah. They've got other females on the team, but she's the first one to be a Hornet pilot. Yep. All right, so there you have it. You know, and there might be some, and I'm not one of them, but there might be some people who don't think uh, women should be Hornet pilots. Um, but uh, we're not going to be talking about that in here. We're talking about gender roles specifically as they apply to marriage. Um, 
And the governing principle, of course, in all of this discussion will be God's word, the scriptures and the scriptures alone. Um, all areas of life are subject to God's will as revealed in the Bible. So we're going to spend a good bit of time in Ephesians 5. So uh, if you want to open your Bibles to Ephesians 5, we'll certainly turn to other passages, but much of our content is going to come from that chapter, and you're familiar with it. But uh, I want to direct your attention for the moment as we frame the discussion to the first two verses, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Therefore be imitators of God, as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So those two verses, as Paul kicks off chapter 5 of Ephesians, teach us to be imitators of God, meaning that our lives and our character are to reflect his character. And we're taught then in verse 2 to walk in love. Uh, in other words, we should live lives that are governed by love. And uh, we know that, again, love itself is defined by God's commandments. What it is it to, to love God? Well, he tells us. What is it to love our neighbor? He tells us that too. So um, we've got these two directives. Uh, be imitators of God and walk in love. And to do those things, and we don't have time to really to kind of unpack this, but to be an imitator of God and to walk in love uh, means necessarily that we are to be in subjection to authority. Uh, look with me at Ephesians 5.17. Uh, somebody read 5.17 for us. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Okay, understand what the will of the Lord is. Uh, that is a task to which we are called. Um, we need to discern the Lord's will, and then we need to understand it and then abide by it. Uh, and then in verse um, 21 of the same chapter, it says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that sets us up, right? That's when it launches into uh, role relationships, uh, gender roles in marriage. And he prefaces it by saying, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In other words, for believers, we all have uh, people and entities to whom we are to be in submission. Authorities over us uh, uh, to whom we are to submit. All right? um, and authority structures, as we, as we see countless places in, in Scripture, and we're going to look at a few uh, in just a moment, but uh, authority structures are the ordinary way God's re God regulates human society. That's how he does it. He sets up authority structures, and he expects his people in particular to live within those structures. Okay, so that's um, how we're going to frame the discussion and introduce the issue of gender roles. Uh, so any questions before we launch? All right, ready? Here we go. Uh, Roman numeral 3, the role of the wife. Let's read together Ephesians 5, starting in 22 and going through 24. <clears throat> Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, why do we start with the wives? Uh, 
simply because the passage does. Just take it in order. Uh, we could have started with the husbands, could have started with the role of the man, but uh, we'll just take the wives first. And the role of the wife is, to sum it up, is to submit to your own husbands. Kind of distasteful statement to many, uh, but let's, uh, let's unpack this. Let's define, first of all, submission, and let's begin <coughs> defining submission by clarifying what it is not. And that's on your handout for you, too. Okay. First of all, submission is not something that's just for women. California or Florida orange juice is not just for breakfast anymore. Uh, submission is not just for women. Everyone is called to submit to some degree uh, to, in, in various different uh, circumstances. So keep your finger in Ephesians and turn over with me to Titus chapter 3 and verse 1. Would someone read that for us if they've got it? Remind them to be submissive to rulers rules and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. Okay, who's the them he's talking about there? Everybody. Everybody, all right? Men, women, children, we are all called to be submissive to rulers and to authorities. In theory, children in a classroom should all be submissive to their teacher. It doesn't work that way, but that's the command. That's really God's requirement. Um, As we're driving in, this guy was trying to Pass us, was getting impatient with me. I was in the left lane because I was getting ready, of course, to turn into the uh, church parking lot. And the person behind me uh, didn't like the speed at which I was traveling and so pulled out and started to speed past me in the right lane. And then there was a sheriff's deputy uh, right off. And I guess he wasn't going quite fast enough for the deputy to spring into action. But the point is, we're all called to be submissive to local authorities, the police, the mayor, the... the um, the county council, the governor, and so on, and up the chain. Um, So that, be submissive to rulers and authorities is for everyone. How about Hebrews 13, 17? Did anybody turn there yet? Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief. For that is unprofitable for you. Thank you. Okay, now which... Particular authorities uh, are in view at that point in Hebrews 13. Pastors, and you're right. In other words, this, we're talking specifically about church authority. We know that because uh, he says uh, that they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. Uh, Sheriff Tanner won't have to give an account for my soul. He's still an authority over me, but uh, you know he's not my spiritual uh, shepherd in that sense um, the command again is, is, is universal it's for everyone obey your leaders and submit to them but here it's talking about authorities within uh, the, the structure of the church and then Romans 13 1 maybe the quintessential commandment about this whole uh, subject somebody have that please read it let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. Okay. Another very pregnant verse, and we don't have time to unpack it, but basically we're being told to submit. This is, submission is for everybody. That's the whole point of these several verses that we've just looked at. Um, so uh, whereas the wife is, is certainly called to submit to her husband, the husband has a host of people to whom he has to submit to, right? Um, so keep that in mind. Secondly, 
Submission is not slavery. um, By way of explanation, I turn your attention to 1 Peter chapter 3. This is right about the point where we are in the men's Bible study. Actually, we're in the following passage, but uh, we we covered verse 7 all by itself, if I remember correctly. Um, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, and so on and so forth. So in other words, yes, the wife is called to be in submission to the husband, but she's not called to be in submission to a man who uh, is, uh, is not understanding of her and who is harsh toward her and who uh, treats her uh, in, a, in a less than dignified and respectable way. Um, so the woman isn't called to some kind of slavery to the man. She's called to submit, but that's different. Um, and I want to bring your attention as well to uh, Genesis chapter 2. So go all the way back there with me. Genesis 2, verse 23. The man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So um, you see there the... Uh, we're we're going to touch on this in just a minute, but what, what, what Adam was essentially saying uh, when he said the, the woman was bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh is that there was this unity there, a unity and an equality. So it's not as if she's some kind of an inferior being and therefore she has to submit in a slavish way to man. So it's not, submission is not slavery. God created man and woman to have dominion together Go back in uh, Genesis 1, it says God created man in his own image, man, but he's talking there about man and woman because he says uh, male and female, he created them, them meaning man. And he gave them dominion over the creatures. It doesn't say he gave Adam dominion over the creatures or gave just the man. He gave the man and the woman together dominion. So there's this essential unity, this essential equality between them. They have dominion together. And R.C. Sproul uh, made this statement that I really appreciated and hoped you would too, so I put it on the handout. Eve was created to be a queen, not a slave. Um, Okay, so submission is not just for women. Submission is not slavery, and we've touched on it already, but submission is not inferiority. And one of the most... Uh, brilliant illustrations of the fact that it is not is Jesus himself because in Luke 2 51 remember that's that's right after uh, Jesus' parents are going back to Nazareth and they say well where's Jesus and they have to go back to Jerusalem and for three days they look for him and they find him in the temple you know the 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 narrative there and then it says that Jesus uh, uh, returned with his parents and he was submissive to them He created the universe. He's the second person of the Godhead in the flesh, but he submitted to his parents. And then in John chapter 530, let's look at that. John 5 verse 30. Somebody read that for us, please. I can do nothing on my own as I hear. 
As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. All right, so Jesus in his flesh, in his earthly nature, and really even in his, in his divinity as the second person of the Godhead, he's submitting, isn't he? He was submitting in the garden when he prayed, not my will but thine be done. And so um, you've, you've got clear proof in Jesus' own example that submission does not mean inferiority. It's not in any way intended to be degraded. And inferiority finally doesn't mean that if a wife is to be in submission to her husband, she can't express her opinion. She can't provide input into discussions and decision-making uh, or anything of that kind. And maybe you've known someone, uh, you know, a, a man who's kind of uh, has a distorted view of his role as the head of the household or as the, you know, the, the one in authority, and um, and he, he he won't accept input, won't accept discussion. Um, but that's not that's not what biblical submission is. Okay, so those are things that submission is not. Let's look at, in marital context anyway, what submission is. And I say submission is a voluntary act on the part of the wife. Uh, So back to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. Wives, submit to your own husbands. That verb in the Greek is in uh, the... um, in the middle voice, and you got uh, middle voice in, in Greek verbs, and I guess in other languages too, means somebody doing something for themselves. Um, and so the, the woman is called here to submit. Submit yourselves to your own husband, or submit for yourselves to your own husbands. Uh, in other words, uh, nobody holds a gun to her head and says, you must submit. The husband certainly does not uh, you know, kind of browbeat his wife into, and saying, you, you're supposed to submit to me. That's, that's not the spirit of biblical submission in Christian marriage. Secondly, this submission is continuous. It's not periodic. It's not temporary. It's, uh, and so the, the verb tense there in the Greek is, is helpful there because it's a present tense verb. And when you see a uh, uh, present tense verb, it, it's a, it refers to ongoing action. Not something that's just one and done or something that's coming in the future, uh, but something that is continuous. Um, and then it's a uh, biblical requirement. And, and this is where it becomes difficult. It's where it's tough. But uh, wives are required to submit to their husbands without regard to the husband's ability, without regard to the husband's wisdom, without regard to the husband's even spirituality. So if you get a situation where... Uh, and let's let's assume uh, two Christians come together in marriage, but let's say the the young lady has been was raised in the church, has been a believer as long as she can remember, has never known a day she wasn't trusting in the Lord. She grew up in Sunday school. Her parents did family worship with her. She knows the scriptures. She's spiritually mature, and then she ends up marrying a guy who's a fairly new Christian, loves the Lord, sincere in his faith, but he's not as well. Uh, grounded in the scriptures as his own wife is. Uh, that doesn't mean the roles are to be reversed. You know, that, and, and so you know, a young lady entering into a, a scenario like that needs to do so with her eyes wide open. Uh, the, the God um, 
calls the wife to submit to the husband, even if the husband is less spiritually mature than her, which is very, very often the case, frankly. Um, uh, so that's definition of submission, and let's discuss the parameters for submission, and that'll bring us to the end of this section. And I, wanna, I know there may be some questions on your minds, but uh, parameters for submission. And I've got my f first of a few footnotes I put. Um, uh, there's a Christian counselor who's done some writing on marriage and done some uh, studies that husbands and wives can do together. His name is Wayne Mack, and in one of his uh, books he said, God created the woman to correspond to man. She is similar to man, yet somewhat different. She is man's complement, not his carbon copy. She is to man what a key is to a lock and what a film is to a camera, what film is to a camera indispensable and 1 Corinthians 11 11 is where it says that neither is the, the wife independent of the man and neither is the man independent of the wife there's a mutual dependence there and uh, so as we let, let's keep that in mind as we consider the parameters for submission and I hope this is encouraging um, to, to all you wives and it has potential to be encouraging to many <coughs> Christian wives out there, the, the text doesn't say wives be submissive to husbands. It says wives be submissive to your own husbands. So in other words, it's not that uh, you, her, the, the woman's uh, duty of submission is to her own husband and to her own husband alone, not just to any person because he's a husband. Now that might be, in fact, it is uh, pretty uh, self-evident and self-explanatory. But just to clarify that, because... Uh, there are some weird ideas out there. Uh, the woman has, it, when it says your own husbands, I think it reflects something important. I remember John MacArthur bringing this out in a sermon that I listened to of his years and years and years ago. But he really laid emphasis on the fact that it says wives be submissive to your own husbands. Because the wife owns the husband. She has a propriety in him. First um, Corinthians 7, 3 and 4. Somebody there already? The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Okay, now, We don't have time to unpack that either. But the point being, there's this mutual uh, ownership and, and to some extent some authority uh, even over the body. So it's not as if the wife has no authority in the marriage. See right there, one clear example of authority she does have. Um, so wives are to submit to their own husbands, and they're not under the authority of men generally. A woman is not under the authority of a man simply because he's a man. Uh, there's no inferiority of the woman versus the man. Then the other thing it says in verse 22 of Ephesians 5, is wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. I think this is maybe the toughest part of the whole equation. Uh, the woman uh, and her submission to her husband is an act of obedience to Christ. And even though it's hard, I have no doubt, uh, and frustrating at times, when a woman submits to her husband, Christ is honored. And uh, so... 
when it says submit to your wives as to the Lord, what it's essentially saying is a wife should submit to her husband as if Christ were her husband. And then, of course, the, 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 the natural and, and very predictable protest is, well, if Christ were my husband, he wouldn't treat me the way my husband does, or he wouldn't talk to me the way that my husband does, or he wouldn't do this and this and this. Christ would be the perfect husband. And you know what? You're absolutely right to say so. Uh, uh, that's, among other things, it's beside the point. Uh, Christ puts us in imperfect marriages. He takes a sinner and he takes a sinner and he joins them in marriage in a fallen world that's cursed by sin. And it's in that context, not in the Garden of Eden before the fall, that the wife is commanded to be submissive to the husband. So um, it takes a lot of grace. I know it, but it must. Uh, but uh, that's what the scripture says. And then finally, just to emphasize once again, uh, man and woman are equal. Equal. Equal in dignity. Equal in worth. Equal in honor. The man and the woman, the husband and the wife, are equal in every respect except for one, and that's authority. And the authority has been vested by God in the husband. And that brings us to the husband, but before we go on, uh, let's, uh, let's pause to see if there are any observations or questions. Um, I'd like to just not go down any rabbit holes, which you know I do. Um, abilities. Now, that's a word that it says, without regard to the husband's abilities, wisdom, spirituality, in other words, submit without regard to these things. Just what is, how would you define it? There are times, I think, where wife wife has knowledge of certain things, perhaps the way something works, and the husband does not. And I do know husbands who might insist on doing it his way, whether he... And she can't do that. Right, right. So I'm just asking. Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, you know, Hillary's the handyman in our house. She's much better at working with stuff and fixing things than I am. And uh, so if she said, this is broken and we need this, this, and this, you know, it would be foolish of me to say, well, you know, I'm an authority here, and, um, and instead I want you to get these other things. Or I don't think we should do it that way, you know. If she knows more about how stuff works than I do, then, uh, you know, that would be a case where my ability is inferior to hers. Um, I think... You're reasonable. Hmm? You're reasonable. I try to be. Yeah, but what about the, you know, what about where the person really, I mean, I would simply say, you're wrong and I'm going to do this. <laughs> well, I mean, I would. There's another option, and, and, and that's to submit. Let's say it's a park for the dishwasher, and you say, no, that's not the problem. But go ahead. Yeah. And they buy the park, and they put it in, and it doesn't or you can say, okay, and do it your own way. When well, I, I mean, if we're to submit, and they really yeah. are insistent, and I think we can we can submit. And then the, the hard part is not to be the one to say, I told you so, <laughs> at the end, but to, to, to go ahead and submit and, and let them make a mistake. It's okay. I mean, it, it's not life and death. I have a graduate degree from the School of Hard Knocks. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and that, you know, that's what happens. You know, it's, yeah. that's one option. You know, yeah, just, so, okay, fine, do it yeah. your way. You know, it's stuff and, you worry about, though. 
Yeah, right, right. And I think, you know, when you first asked the question, I was thinking about in terms of, um, <clears throat> I don't know, like teaching ability. The, some of the ladies went to this uh, conference out in um, uh, Grace Coastal. And, uh, who's the speaker? Guthrie. Nancy, Guthrie. Nancy Guthrie. Wonderful teacher. And, uh, you know, as gifted as she is, is her, is her husband a pastor? Let's say you've got a woman, uh, maybe not as famous as Nancy Guthrie, but equally gifted, you know, loves to teach, leads Bible studies, he teaches Sunday school classes for women and that kind of thing. And she's married to a man, you know, he may be very godly, but he might not have those same uh, giftings as she does. Uh, and yet, in a sense, you know, it's his, his duty before God to lead his family in family worship. And maybe he can't pull together some devotional thoughts with the same skill as his wife can. Um, you know, maybe a really wise and mature and humble husband in a situation like that would involve his wife more in, in you know, doing that, the family worship stuff, but it still falls to him, and she's still called to submit to him, even though she may be a brilliant Bible teacher, and he's kind of mediocre. Uh, and I don't have, you know, we could get into lots of different case studies, of course, but uh, anyway, that's a good question. And an example of that, too, that I always remind myself of, too. We had a church that we went to in Tennessee. The, the husband and wife led the teaching. Uh, they both were up there. Uh, she didn't really lead the teaching, but you know that, that she put together the whole thing. She wrote it all out. She, um, you know, but the, the husband and wife sat before us. But I found that I still really wanted to hear what the husband had to say. You know, so it's, it's, I think I think we receive naturally better, you know, from men sometimes than, than women if, if they're, I don't know, I just, I just, I think it's real, even like male singers, I, I just would rather hear a male singer than a female. And Rachel says the same thing, the students at the school with male teachers, like, that's a big thing. Hmm. I would agree with that. And add one more question. Authority. Sure. Uh, so when you say authority, does that mean decision making? Is that basically what? I guess that's one big part of what it comes down to. And I, you know, thankfully, I think in, in most marriages, I'm thankful to say that for, for the most part, in in our marriage, when it's come down to decisions, we've mostly been able to see eye to eye eventually on on decisions. And so, uh, but I guess if it comes down to a, a a decision, even an important one, where the husband and wife aren't quite in agreement, at some point the decision has to be made, and I guess it would fall to the husband because, you know, as we'll see in a minute, he's he's the one that's going to be held accountable anyway. Right. Yeah. Tim? I'm just going to say what you just said. Yeah, okay. All right. Um, let's go on. The role of the husband, Roman numeral four. Um, <clears throat> it's uh, noteworthy that, uh, you know, the role of the wives, it's laid out for us in a few verses. The, the, extend, the, the instructions to the husband are more extended, and I think it could very well go right back to, to what we were just talking about, um, the accountability factor. But uh, starting verse 25, follow along with me, please. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle 
or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Uh, so the command, you know, we summed up the wife's uh, directive, submit to your husbands. We can sum up the husband's role as husbands love your wives. And that is the word agapao, agape. You know the word, you've heard it, you know what it means, right? You know what kind of love that is. It's that unconditional, uh, committed love. <clears throat> but speaking of love, again, as we define to submission, let's define love. Uh, what is love not? Love is not passive. Uh, love takes action. Love works. Uh, turn with me to Luke chapter 10. Um, in Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25, uh, that's one of, of a couple different situations during Jesus' ministry where someone came and inquired of him about the law. Uh, I say there are a couple of different ones because there's one where it's pretty clearly parallel. Um, this one that specifies that this lawyer who stood up to ask the question was putting Jesus to the test. And I think there's at least one situation where the, the encounter seems less hostile, seems a little bit more um, you know, like a meeting of minds. But um, the, the, the lawyer rises up and says, uh, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And uh, he said, what's written in the law? How do you read it? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Hmm. Right? The point I'm trying to make so far is um, he's asking about the law, and the answer is uh, love. Love is the definition of the law. The lawyer knew that. Jesus affirmed him in that. So then he says, well, who's my neighbor? Right? Because just like all of us, he's trying to justify himself. He wants to know if he's in or out. He wants to know if he's doing enough or if he's a good enough person. And so Jesus uh, brings the uh, parable of the Good Samaritan. And at the end, he says, uh, of those people that passed by, which one was the neighbor to the man? And he says, uh, the one who showed him mercy. What he's saying, he kind of he kind of flips the equation in a sense, uh, but uh, he's saying that Samaritan was a neighbor who loved his neighbor, right? The Samaritan showed love. The Samaritan uh, showed love by taking action. He did something, right? Um, also, in Galatians chapter five, does someone have uh, Galatians five thirteen and fourteen? Yeah, I got it from you. Thanks. You ready for it? Yep. Uh, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Thank you. Okay, so uh, through love do what? Serve. serve. Right? Love serves. Love acts. Love 
uh, works. Um, so love is not passive. Love is active. So husbands, think about that when you think about your obligation to love your wives. Think about this, too. Um, and this flies in the face of culture, flies in the face of all the pop music we listen to, usually. Uh, love is not something that happens to us. Right? Love isn't something we just uh, fall into. Oh, I'm in love. It uh, uh, feels like that, but it's, that's not what it is. It's not like we're walking along, minding our own business, and, and Cupid fires his arrow, and oh, I'm in love. Right? And I found this... Uh, I was searching the internet for uh, corny examples of, of songs that, uh, that talk about love in this way. I found one that actually I'm not even really that familiar with. It was performed by Casey Musgraves. Um, the opening words are, I was just coasting, never really going anywhere. Caught up in a web, I was kind of getting used to staying there. Getting kind of used to, and out of the blue, I fell for you. Uh. Ah. So I slipped on an apple peel and I'm in love now, right? Uh, a banana peel, excuse me. Uh, uh, so, um, but love, you know, that's, okay, that's infatuation. That's infatuation. That's lust, maybe. It's uh, being enamored. Um, but it's not love. I'm sorry. It's just not. Um, because, let her see, love is not a feeling, despite, uh, again, the words, of, you know, it is more than a feeling. <laughs> um, it's not a feeling, but it's an action. It's not a feeling, it's, it's not a condition. I'm in love or I'm out of love. I, I'm COVID positive or I'm not. Uh, love is not a condition, it's a commitment. Uh, we got. We went out for our anniversary one, one year uh, to uh, this restaurant and the server uh, was engaged, was going to be married soon. And we said, well, we're here, we're here celebrating our 15th anniversary. And he said, oh, that's great. He said, I'm getting ready to get married. You got any advice? <laughs> and I said, yes. <laughs> um, I said, you know, love is, is, is a commitment. You know, so when you take those vows, take them seriously. Because you're making promises and you're expected to keep them. You know, even when you don't feel the love, you still got to love. All right, not a feeling, but an action, not a condition, but a commitment. All right, so turn the page. Uh, that's what love is not. Well, what is love? And where do you think of in Scripture immediately when you want to talk about defining love? 1 Corinthians 13, right? And that's great, because that's exactly what you should think of. And I want to bring to your attention, we're not going to read the whole list today, but I want to bring several things to mind. Uh, <clears throat> Uh, for and again, this is directed to, to myself and to the men, to the husbands in the room. First uh, Corinthians thirteen says, "Love is patient." Couldn't help thinking of Elvis Presley. It's now or never. My love won't wait. <laughs> well, if your love won't wait, then it's not love. Love is patient. Love is kind. So you've got the woman who God commands to be in submission to her husband, and he's commanding the man to be kind to her. And I think that if a husband is being kind, then it shouldn't be too difficult most of the time for the wife to submit to him. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not arrogant. Love isn't beating its chest saying, I'm the head of the household. Uh, that's not love. And then uh, towards the end it says, love endures all things. Endures all things. 
that's a kind of a step beyond love puts up with a lot. Love endures all things. Uh, another key passage, uh, you think of the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5. Uh, when Paul writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uh, what fruit of the Spirit is, the very first thing on the list is love. And again, that, that word is packed. It, it's not just, you know, it's not butterflies in the stomach. It's not the heart going pitter-patter. Love is, is a commitment. It's, it's everything that the, the, the Ten Commandments say. That's love. And love, uh, like faith, I think, in, 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 in key respects, love manifests itself in ways that are observable. Okay? Hebrews 6, verse 10. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. Uh, Love, talked about earlier, love works, and those works are manifest, right? You can tell someone really loves someone by what they do. Uh, so that's, um, that's defining love. Now let's apply love. Um, husbands, and this is a tall order. I think uh, as tall as the one placed on the wives. Um, how are we to love our wives? We're to love them as Christ loved the church. So those attributes that we talked about just a minute ago, the love of the husband for the wife has to reflect all of those. And the husband's love for his wife uh, must reflect the love of Christ for his church. And we see that repeatedly in Ephesians 5. I'm sorry I didn't finish that uh, citation, but I think maybe the intent was basically to refer you to the whole passage once again because it says repeatedly that the husbands are supposed to love their wives as Christ loves the church. Uh, and, and in what ways does Christ love the church? Uh, <clears throat> well, I found several examples, several, uh, you know, a list of attributes that characterize the love that Christ has for his church and therefore that the love of husbands should have uh, for their wives. First of all, Christ's love is unconditional and is free. Does anybody have Romans 5.8? Since therefore we have now been justified by his... I'm oh, sorry. Uh, but God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Is that the verse you were Yes, yes, because God didn't... Sh- uh, um, he shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ didn't wait to go to the cross until we'd kind of cleaned ourselves up, made ourselves acceptable, made ourselves worthy of his vicarious death on our behalf. He went to the cross for us while we were still sinners. Uh, his love was unconditional in that sense, and it was free. We didn't earn it in any way. We didn't merit it in any way. Also, is God's love and Christ, and therefore Christ's love for the church is volitional. I love the verse in uh, Deuteronomy 7, where God was talking about how he set his love on the people of Israel. Uh, he called them and made them to be a holy people. And he explains in verse 7 of Deuteronomy 7, it was not because you were more in number than any other people, that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. He didn't love them for anything about them. 
he chose to place his love upon them. And the beginning of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he touches on that as well. Ephesians 1, verses 4 and 5, it says, He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Before we'd ever had a chance to do anything for him. That we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. So it was his will, volitionally. Um, and husbands need to uh, be determined and as an act of their wills, love their wives. It's unending. Jeremiah 31.3 says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. Wonderful, wonderful verse, full of encouragement. And then Romans 8, you know the end of Romans 8, where Paul says, I am persuaded neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come. Nothing, and he even says nothing else uh, in all creation can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And what does, what's omitted then? If nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Hmm? No, 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 I'm saying, I'm sorry, I, I'm not doing a good job of asking the question. If he goes through that list and says, this can't separate us from the love of God in Christ, this can't, this can't, and nothing else in all creation can, except, what's, what's outside of the set of created things, what is there? There's God. God alone. And is he going to volitionally discard the love that he volitionally had for you? So you see, there's nothing, nothing whatsoever that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. It's unselfish. We see that in the list on, in 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, it's sacrificial. We saw that already uh, in Ephesians 5.2. You can also see it in Galatians 2.20. And then uh, the husband must love his wife as himself. Um, and you know, people will argue, well, there are people that don't love themselves because Paul says... In this text, no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. And people say, "Oh, well, what about cutters? You know, they don't love themselves. You know, they're they're hurting themselves because they despise and they loathe themselves. They really don't. They don't. They love themselves, and because they don't, they're not getting what they want, or don't have the sense that others love them the way they think they ought to be loved. They abuse themselves to get attention. They abuse themselves because they can't feel, and so they want to feel something." Nobody ever, scripture is true, scripture is always true, and scripture says no one ever hated his own flesh. And husbands uh, expend time, they expend thought, they expend money caring for themselves, and they ought to love their wives in the same way. Um, We're pretty much out of time, but there's another component to the role of the husband. Ephesians 5 specifies love your wives, but because the, uh, that relationship of the husband and wife is one of full equality except for the aspect of authority, it follows that the husbands have a leadership role in the marriage and in the home. Husbands are to love their wives, but they're also to lead them and lead their families. Got a footnote, another one there from Sproul. Um, uh, Let me just run down the list here on the handout. Headship in the home is not about giving orders or being the boss. Biblical leadership, whether it's in the marriage or anywhere else, in any context, is about servant leadership. I'm astounded at how much in the military you get all this stuff about being a servant leader. 
And I'm thinking, wow, I wonder if they even know where that concept comes from. You know, in the army values we've got, um, selfless service. That's a leadership trait. Uh, but it's scriptural. It comes right out of the Bible. Um, so the husband's headship has to be understood in uh, biblical principles. And I give you a couple, one from First Peter, one from First Thess, both of which are directed to leaders in the church again. But that, that, that leadership that, that uh, elders in the church um, are to exemplify should also characterize leadership in the home. Um, yeah, I'm sorry, we're out of time. First Corinthians 14 refers to uh, husbands being able to teach their wives. And so that's why if, if a guy is in one of those situations where he's less spiritually mature, less experienced, uh, in the faith, less knowledgeable in the scriptures than his wife, then he's got work to do, and he needs to be studying so that he can be of spiritual encouragement uh, to his wife and and fulfill his role, and it has to be a leading by example. Uh, I'm sorry, I really I really do prefer to leave time for questions, and we, we're out of time. But is there any burning question that someone's just got to get off their chest before we close in prayer? Okay. Uh, we'll maybe open with, with a little bit of that if you've had some time over the next week to reflect and want to ask a question next time. But let's, uh, let's go ahead and close. Father, we thank you again for your word. Uh, we thank you that uh, you give us directions, and we pray you give us grace to uh, live according to the directions given in your word. Please, Lord, give the wives uh, much grace to submit to their husbands. Give the husbands humility and, and much, much grace to love their wives as they ought. Uh, and uh, we pray that you'd be glorified in our marriages. We pray for those who are not yet married but desire to be, that you'd be raising up godly spouses for them. And, Lord, uh, that Christ Jesus would receive all the glory. We also pray that he'd get all the glory in our upcoming worship service. And so prepare our hearts now as we get ready to gather to, to, for holy convocation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.